Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. All right, so I want to start this morning with a little bit of a quiz. Um, Four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How many questions does Jesus ask in the four Gospels? And I know there's some overlap. One question that may appear in Matthew may also appear in Luke, and I I get that. But if you just take all the, the raw numbers, all the questions, how many questions do you think Jesus asked? And I'm going to give you three choices. Did he ask 50 questions? 100 questions or 150 questions. It's not a trick. Just take your best guess. How many of you would say it's in the neighborhood of 50 questions that Jesus asked? That's your first gut, okay? How many of you would say around 100 questions Jesus asked? How many would say 150 questions, okay? How many of you didn't vote because you're lazy and you don't raise your hands in church, okay? Some of those too, right? So my wife guessed 50. I would have guessed 150. It's 307, Jesus asked a lot of questions. Now, many times he asked questions in order to get a direct answer, but many times he asked questions that were rhetorical. In other words, he wasn't aiming for an answer. He was trying to create an effect. Okay, for instance, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Or here's another one. What if it benefits a person if they gained the whole world let yet lose their own soul? So these, these weren't really directed to get an answer, but to create an effect. So we're starting this year with one question. What's the Holy Spirit saying to our church? And this is not a rhetorical question. I'm looking for answers. I want us to listen. I want us to lean in. We've already talked about how we are an urban church unapologetically, and that comes with a lot of challenges and a lot of benefits. A lot of surprises happen, you know. We've talked about making disciples. It's the one thing Jesus said to do. Learn to do everything I've commanded you to do. Now, today is kind of a part B of that or a second part of making disciples because there's something that distracts us from making disciples. And I'm going to get to the what is the Holy Spirit saying to our church here in just a minute. But here's a question that I want to ask rhetorically. I'm not looking for an answer. I'm just trying to create an effect. Do we want to make disciples or do we want to make drama? I think that's a valuable question for every church to ask because you know as you get people together for any purpose, you tend to generate drama. It happened all throughout the Bible. Anytime people got together, Adam and Eve, drama. Cain and Abel, drama. Jacob and Esau, drama. Penn and Teller, Crosby, Still, Nash, and Young, all the great people of the Bible. (laughs) Anytime you get people together, there's going to be drama. In fact, Jesus could have said of the church, where two or three are gathered in my name, there is drama with them. And so I think we need to lean in and listen. Do we want to make drama or do we want to do what Jesus called us to do, and that is make disciples? If that's so... What is the Holy Spirit saying to our church? Here it is. Plant your life. If you want to become like Jesus, you want to be a disciple, you just need to make a decision. Wherever it is, just plant your life. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Galatians 5. 
And you're going to wonder how we're going to get there from here, but I want you to trust me for a few minutes. Galatians chapter 5, you'll see as you turn through the gospel, there's all these headings that are in bold, right? That's not original to the Bible. That's just given to us by the editors to help us understand the flow of thought. So when you get to Galatians 5, you're going to see the subtitle, Save the Drama for Your Mama, right there. (laughs) At least that's what I would subtitle it. Mine says Life by the Spirit. So just follow with me here for a few minutes. We're going to get to the idea of planting your life, but we're going to start in Galatians 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Let's stop here for just a moment. We look at the commands of God, and often we misinterpret the commands of God. We think they're there just to frustrate us. You know, God says, do these things or don't do these things. The commands of God, properly understood, are not frustrating. We understand He gives us these commands so we can flourish. God says, I need you to trust me. I know the best way to live. If you would just follow my instructions, trust me on this. And so God's commands are not there to frustrate us. They're there to allow our lives in full obedience to flourish, okay? So you're called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather... Serve one another humbly in love. So if we get to this place where we are free now and all the energy we would have spent on ourselves, pleasing ourselves, now all of a sudden we're free. We don't have to do that anymore. We can take all that energy and all that effort and dump it into serving other people. In fact, here's a little practice I have. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just decoding some of my language for you. If I ever talk to you, we're you know, we talk and we listen, we pray together. I'll often say something like this, I am here to serve. What I mean by that is I love you. That's my way, because I, I think those three words are often cheapened by our culture. They're used too rapidly and too thoughtlessly. I would rather say I'm here to serve, but I want you to decode that as, as love. That's what we're here to do for one another, and that's what we're here to do for the world. We are called to be free. Now we can take all that energy we would have spent on ourselves and spend it on somebody else. I received a a text yesterday from one of our leaders in our Caring Center ministry. If you're aware, our Caring Center out south had a water leak, flooded. We had to close it down for a while. And by the way, thank you to all the deacons and volunteers who went out yesterday and moved that South Caring Center into another building so we could open again. Thank you for that, okay? You served yesterday. But I received this note because we've been closed down, but necessarily out south. One of the leaders sent me this. I wanted to tell you that I got a note from a lady who is homeless. And in this note that she left by the Caring Center door, in it was $1.60, okay? The note said that she was homeless and she had two small children and she needed coats for them. She came by a couple of times and we were closed, so she went into one of the bins, and we have some outdoor bins, and she pulled out the coats that she needed for herself and for her children, and she left a note with $1.60 and her phone number that in case that wasn't enough money to pay for the coats, she would come back and pay the rest. And then the volunteer ended this, these are the people that we really want to serve. We are here. We live in a world of need, okay? Now that we're not worried so much about pleasing ourselves, now we get to serve one another and we get to serve the world and it's our way of saying, I love you, okay? 
So, he goes on. Serve one another humbly in love, verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to pay attention to verse 15. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroying one another. Now, I want you to pay attention to the word bite and the word devour. So, we still talk about that today. When we criticize one another, it's called backbiting, right? Still this idea that we take a chunk out of somebody else. But if we're not careful, it can go from criticism and backbiting, and it can escalate very quickly to become devouring. I had this little chihuahua when we were little, when I was a little kid. His name was Chico. And we would cut off a piece of Velveeta cheese. Nobody trashed Velveeta cheese. It is the best processed cheese in the world, okay? And we would throw, except aerosol cheese. Anybody in here love the aerosol cheeses? There's nothing that says culture like cheese in a can. I'm just telling you, okay? But we'd cut off a little corner of Velveeta and we'd throw it down to him. And he wouldn't even taste it. He'd just gulp it, right? He would devour it. That picture is don't become animals with one another. This criticism and devouring, you can find this anywhere. You can find it in the political world. You can find it in the business world. You can find it in your clubs. You can find it in your hobbies. That's everywhere. This is not to be you as the church. And let me say this. Some of you are wondering, is there a subtext? Is there something going on at First Baptist right now that I don't know about? That Darren's talking about this? And my answer is no. I mean, is there conflict in a group? Yes. But it's so much easier to talk about this when times are good rather than when times are bad, right? Okay. So, here's the rhetorical question again. Do we want to make disciples or do we want to make drama? We're given that choice. In fact, that's where Paul goes in the next paragraph. I'm going to read this without comment because he does lay out the choice. So, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of flesh. You get the choice. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So Paul gives a choice. It's a fork in the road. Hey, when you do church together, do you want to live by the flesh? you want to just do relationships the way everyone else does? Or do you want to live in a supernatural way and try to keep in step with the Spirit? So he takes this fork in the road and he gives a paragraph on each one of them. And he says, here's what it looks like to live life by the flesh. Here's what it looks like to live life by the Spirit. So let's start with the flesh, okay? The acts of the flesh are obvious. And this is verse 19. Now pay attention because he lists 15 characteristics of living by the flesh. Three of them are sexual. Two of them are religious. Two of them are catch-all categories, but get this, eight are relational. You know, in our culture, we're so worried about who's having sex with who. And while that's important, he says in the church, you need to look at relational things first, okay? So there's sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Those are the three sexual. Idolatry, witchcraft, those are the religious. Now pay attention to the next eight. Hatred. We all know what that is. Discord. So when I got to this point in my study, I started thinking about the orchestra that sits right behind me. I try not to think about the people who are sitting right behind me. They're a little scary, aren't they? Okay. 
So I started thinking about, if you ever go to a concert, what do they do? They do this warm-up, right, where everyone's just kind of doing their own thing. So I just want you guys to sample that for me. Just give me, just give me a warm-up. Let me hear what you sound like when you're doing your own thing. Go ahead. I'm more in control of them than I was the kids here a minute ago. Okay. So now that's what, oh, everyone's doing their own thing. And, and would you go and listen to that for an hour and a half? No. But when they all decide to be on the same page, it's not discord, it's harmony. So give me one note together. Okay. That's so much better, okay. That's harmony, that's, that's where all... Wait, we gotta finish this, ready? Okay. That's called 2001 Spoo's Odyssey. I'm just telling you, that's what, we, that's what we named it, right? Actually, that's what Brad called it. He didn't let me conduct by myself. He didn't trust me enough, right? Okay. You see what happens when everyone gets on the same page. Some really powerful things can happen. So here's why I mentioned Discord. Just think about it. If your community group says, hey, we're just going to do our own thing, or if you as a follower of Jesus, I go to this church, but I'm just going to do my own thing, that's what he's talking about. We are all on the same page together as followers of Jesus. In fact, Jesus taught us to pray not my Father, but our Father in heaven. Okay, so there's discord. Um, jealousy, fits of rage. Can I talk about that for just a minute? The Greek word there for rage is thymos, thermos, thermometer thermostat. It's, it's a word that means heat, right? And so you've heard me say this before, but in your relationships, are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? If you're a thermometer, you just react to everything. A thermostat regulates. Do, do people trust you to be emotionally stable or are you just all over the place? Okay. We, are, we are called to be emotionally healthy and mature people. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. I want to talk about this for just a minute. So my first little church in East Texas when I was in seminary, Dial Baptist Church out near Honey Grove, Texas, God bless Dial Baptist Church because it was their ministry to take in young pastors coming through seminary and to give them their first experience, and boy, did they give me an experience, okay? I had one deacon that always fell asleep on the back row, and I thought, I will not leave this church until he stays awake through an entire message. If I had kept that vow, I would still be there today. Yeah. But my first deacon's meeting, I go into my first deacon's meeting, and the church had just built a fellowship hall for their, their church gatherings, right? And they didn't have a refrigerator. And so the deacons voted, this is a very eternal matter, about what kind of refrigerator to buy for the fellowship hall. Well, old Bill over here said, we need to get such and such refrigerator because it has an ice maker. Bob over here said, we're going to get a refrigerator, but we don't need the ice maker. 
Bill said, well, it will help the women. Bob said, well, it will cost too much. And boy, these two started going at each other in my very first deacons meeting. And as I was contemplating a career change, <laughs> so I thought, do I really want to spend the rest of my life doing this? Lloyd spoke up and said, I tell you what, find out what the difference is between having the ice maker and not, and I'll pay it personally. That's called a peacemaker, right? Now, what I didn't know then and that I learned over the course of two and a half years, and what I now realize, their conversation was not about the ice maker at all. There were two factions. There was Team Bill and Team Bob, and they would not agree on anything. If one said white, the other would say black. And that's the way their relationship was for decades. And I thought to myself, I can't wait to get out of a small church and go to a big church where that never happens. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> it happens even more, right? But do you want to make drama or do you want to make disciples? One is living by the flesh. The other is living by the Spirit, and we have that choice. And so he lists these things, envy, drunkenness, orgies. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So go back and read through this list. Those who live like this may call themselves Christians, but they're not. It's going to show up. What you really believe will show up in the way you do your relationships. If the sum of the law is love others as you love yourself. So now, that's the way we live by the flesh. Again, do you want to make drama? you want to make disciples? Well, here's how to make disciples, and here is how to make yourself a disciple. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So here's where I want to come down to this idea. If you want to be a disciple and we want to make disciples, we need to plant our lives. It's the picture of a tree. And you only get the fruit if you develop the roots. So I'm going to ask Dave McPherson to come join me here for just a second. Dave is the most positive person on our staff. He is an extrovert's extrovert, and I'm an introvert. So I come in on Monday morning. I just want to be quiet. Dave's already going 100 miles an hour. It drives me crazy. Isn't that how everyone works? Yeah, so I, I brought him up here just to critique him in front of all of you. We have two factions here, right? <laughs> so what I asked Dave to do, just for a minute, Dave, I'm going to guide this conversation. I asked him to come up here today and to put on his mean face as the leader of all of our community groups. And what did you tell me? I, I said, this is the only face I've got. Yeah, quoting Tom Cruise, right? And then I said, what is one thing you would tell the whole church, just straightforward, about being in a community group or not, what was the thing you'd say? If you're not in a community group, you are robbing yourself. You are hurting yourself. You are robbing mm -hmm. yourself. Now, Dave, I want you to tell the story, and I'm going to interrupt you here in just a minute for a scripture. Please do. But tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We didn't rehearse this, as you could tell. Yeah, we just, we just kind of, we're kind of, this is planned, but it's kind of a little bit ad lib. Tell us the power, give us an illustration of the power of a group that works together. So, so one of the best images of a group that I can think of is a group that met in the 1920s and 1930s in London, England, just across from Oxford University. This group of men, they would get together every week. They would actually share different pieces of writing that they were working on. 
And so guys like Charles Williams, Owen Barfield, J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, they would meet together each week. And as they shared what they were working on, now creatives in the room, you know, if you share anything that you're working on, it's a little like exposing your heart before a community group. It's scary, but these men did so knowing that they would be impacted and challenged and they would be better because of it. And so when they met together each week and they would share what was going on, they would share the works that they were writing, they would sometimes encourage each other. Sometimes that would come out in, in forms of fighting or arguing or, or sharply criticizing. But they committed to each other that they would improve each other and make each other better because of it. Matter of fact, uh, Warren Lewis, the brother of C.S. Lewis, he wrote in his biography that he had a few opportunities to visit this group with his brother. And every time he met with them, he said there were times that, that there was intense discussion in the room as people were, were arguing over the pieces of literature they were sharing. But there was also the sense in the room that you could, you could almost feel this community where everyone wanted to surround each other and support each other. They knew that they would be better for what they did together. They knew that they would be better. So give us a scripture that connects with that. What is one scripture, how we can make one another better even through conflict? Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And out of that, so much good came. The next time you read mere Christianity or you listen to the Lord of the Rings or uh, the Narnia Chronicles, it came out of community. Would you all appreciate my friend Dave McPherson over here? So, in my backyard, I had a peach tree. Bought it, planted it, looking forward to peaches. I knew it would take two or three years for it to mature. But about a year in, I didn't like exactly where I'd put it, and so I dug it up and I moved the peach tree a couple yards away, knowing that I'd just now reset the clock. It was going to be another three years before I got peaches. And then we redesigned our backyard and moved the gardens around, and now all of a sudden this peach tree was out in the middle of the yard all by itself, and I moved it a third time. And I set it back even more until, you know what, I killed the peach tree. It was never fruitful because I kept moving it around. This is what happens when we make drama as a church. We come and we put down roots in a church and we go, oh, well, this would be a great place for me to grow. And then you have the first conflict or you have somebody you don't like or somebody says something or you don't like a particular style or taste or something and you go, well, I'm going to dig up my life and I'm going to move over here. And then something happens in that church that you don't like. And I've seen this happen over 23 years. Come over here. Oh, I'm going to go back to the first church. I'll go back there and replant myself. And then, no, I, I really don't like it after all. I'm going to go plant myself over here. Every time you do that, it's like the peach tree. You reset the clock. And I'm going to say this very gen gingerly. When you put yourself in a church and you're not willing to be fertilized, you're not willing to put up with some of the junk and you go somewhere else, boy, I said that gingerly. I don't know that you really got what I'm saying there. <laughs> I want to say it, but I'm not going to. Sometimes you have to put up with the crud, right? But every time you move around, you reset the clock. It's at that exact moment when you have junk to deal with, that's where you grow. And Paul says, when you plant your life, and all those relational things happen, you need to decide, am I going to do drama or do I want to be a disciple? 
And if you stay put, if you let your roots grow down deep, the results, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I can testify to this. My first couple of years as pastor, I wrestled with, can I pastor people I don't like? Okay. If you want to know who those people are, I keep that list in my back pocket. <laughs> I'm kidding. I keep that list at home. Yeah. That's not the question. The question is, can I learn to love people I don't like? You only do that by sticking with somebody. Self-control, that's another one on this list that I think we need to learn. In other words, if there's drama going on in the church, you know what the greatest product of self-control is? You stay out of it. That, that's not my issue. I don't want to be involved in stuff like that. It's exactly when that fertilizer kicks in that we deal with some of that crud that we actually begin to grow. So I want to make, give some very practical counsel here. Um, and again, what's the Holy Spirit saying to our church? Plant your life. If it's here at this church, if it's in another church, wherever, just go somewhere and plant your life and then let your roots go down deep. So here's some practical counsel for this church. Number one, be easy to live with. I've learned that this is probably the best advice I can give to a couple that's married. Just be easy to live with. You know what pushes your spouse's buttons, so don't push those buttons. So would you make an agreement today with me that as a church, as people in this church, that we're just going to be easy to live with? Can we do that? Dang it. Am I allowed to say dang it in church? That's the second time I've said it today. Let me ask that again. Will you just make an agreement with me that we're just going to be easy to live with? Okay, let's do that. Just be easy to live with. Second, be quick to reconcile. Because no matter how much we get together and we say, oh, we're not going to do drama, conflict is going to happen. So Jesus teaches about forgiveness in two places. I want you to really follow me on this. One, he says, if you know somebody has something against you, the other time, he says, if you've got something against someone, so whether you're the offender or the offendee, irregardless, there's one thing you need to do. Go. Go to that person. And Matthew 18, 15 spells this out. You go personally. In other words, you don't send a text message or an email. You go face-to-face. -face. You go privately. You're not talking to all these other people about it. And here's the big one. You go positively. You're not going to win the argument. You're going in order to win your friend back. Listen, I'm not asking you to do something that I'm not doing. This week, I sat down with a friend, and we decided not to leave that room until we had reconciled. And at the end of about two hours... We both kind of slipped to our knees and committed our relationship with the Lord. You know, that's something that builds the unity of the church through the bond of peace. And I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not willing to do. Do it. Okay. Be easy to live with. Be quick to reconcile. Here's a third practical thing. Don't borrow from somebody else's hatred. We've all had this happen where a friend of ours says, well, so-and-so, I can't believe what they did, and we get all offended, not realizing we're just hearing one side of the story. 
And now we might hate a person that we have never met. In fact, I think that's probably a good rule of thumb. Don't hate somebody who you don't know. I want to read this little piece because it comes out from the integration of Alabama schools back in the 60s. Uh, I, I just love the wording here. During the height of the integration controversy in Alabama, a first grader went to her first day in a newly integrated school. Blacks and whites in the same school. Her mother, who is white, child was white, worried all day long. And when her girl came home, she asked her anxiously, did everything go okay, honey? Oh, mom, you'll never believe it. A little black girl sat next to me. Fearful of trauma of some kind, the mother tried to ask, Lee, calm, ask, Lee, <laughs> ask calmly, tell me what happened. The little girl said, we were both so scared we held hands all day long. You know, here are adults, black and white, who can't get along. And two children, black and white, don't let their parents decide how they feel about one another. They hold on to each other's hands. Don't borrow somebody else's hatred. And here's the last thing. Ask for the Holy Spirit's help. This is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of humanity. If we were doing relationships, it would look a whole lot more like that first paragraph than it does the second. But we ask for the Holy Spirit as we plant our lives in a church. We make the decision to let our roots grow down and the Holy Spirit produces the fruit over time and through relationships and through heartaches and hassles, these things begin to bear in our lives. What's the Holy Spirit saying to our church? Plant your life. So I want to say one more thing, then we're going to wrap things up. When you choose a church, what should you look for? I would encourage you to look for three things. And if you find that, just plant your life there. Okay, hopefully our church represents these things, but it's up to you to decide. First of all, is the Bible consistently and clearly taught? I've often said, without this, I don't have anything to say. Okay, we're going to look at what the Scripture says and what God is still saying to us today. So is the Bible clearly and consistently taught? Second thing you look for in a church is... Do you sense Christ in the leadership of the church? Boy, that's a difficult thing to ascertain. And I'm a little self-conscious just saying it, but you look at the leadership, you might not agree with every decision and everything that's done, but you say, do I sense that they're really trying to follow Jesus or, or themselves? Third, is there a matter of conscience that gets in the way of you growing in your relationship with the Lord? If the church represents something it's like a pebble in the shoe. You know it's there. You try to say it's not a big deal, but it is. And you always want to make sure that those are matters of conscience that tie with the Scripture and not just my opinion on a matter. So I spoke with a couple this week that joined the church. And they've been here for several years. And, said, well, and they were honest with me. And I've had this discussion many times. I don't see what the point of membership is. You know, we kind of, kind of deal with that. And I asked their permission to share this. But then they said, but something changed because it wasn't about our rights as members. It really, the Lord convicted us, it was about our responsibility. That we're responsible to a church and we're responsible for a church, just as we're responsible for our families, to be responsible for a group of leaders and a group of servants. So my invitation to you today is twofold. If you're a member of this church, make that decision to plant your life. Let your roots grow down deep. You're never going to find a perfect church. You're just going to find the church.
Second, if you're not a member, I'm doing an unashamed ask this morning, be a part of this church. Make that statement to yourself and a stand in your spirit to say, I'm going to let my roots grow down. Here's a kind of a campy way of saying it, to let the roots grow deep so that the fruit is sweet. Let's stand together and let's pray together. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.